don't know if you can see the, what I'm holding up here. It's, it's a ring. Um, I was handed this. This comes out of a hand grenade, um, which uh, Andrew gave me. He's hidden it somewhere in this church, and as soon as I open this passage of the Bible, it's going to go off. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and uh, page 1176 uh, in the church Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, where I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. May God bless his word to us. Paul says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And later he says in the same letter, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the theology he has been teaching before we come to the practical application. He's saying there is a time coming when there'll be nothing in heaven or earth over which Christ is not head. And that's God's great plan. And God's great pleasure. That's the mystery that is revealed in the gospel. All to the praise of the glory of his grace. Christ is head over earthly powers. Spiritual powers. Over everything that exists from the largest galaxy. To the smallest elementary particle. And he calls all people everywhere. To turn to him and believe. Now this Ephesian church was being squeezed between two great powers. On the one hand, the religious and social power of the cult of Artemis. She was a female deity, a goddess of fertility, reputed to have come down from heaven and fallen in Ephesus, around which one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis, was built. 
that religion was the source of wealth and status for the city. And on the other hand, you had the all-encompassing political and military power of Rome. And between them, these powers laid claim to everything in Ephesus. Everything that was thought, every religion, every commerce, every entertainment, culture, morality, family, the whole lot they claimed, laid claim to. And in this gospel that Paul preached to them and preaches to them again in this letter, he opposes these with a greater power, the power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all earthly dominions and powers in the heavenly realms itself. Paul wants the Ephesians to know that Christ is the head of every aspect in their lives. There's not a moment of time or a thought or affection or a relationship that Christ has not come to lay claim to and order over. He started in the heavenly realms, Paul did. He's demonstrated the new community in the church, in the, uh, which is Christ's body. And now at this part of the letter, he's getting right down to the domestic, to the nitty-gritty, to the temporal, to employment. And Jesus, says Paul, is claiming all of your life for all of your life, holding nothing back. And tonight we're looking at how the gospel changes marriage. This isn't just for the married, let me say, because I hope to show that for Paul, marriage was all about the gospel. And if you're not married or um, not thinking of getting married or you are married, there's still something for you in this word. Um, What he says helps our our understanding of the gospel, whether you're married or not. And um, if you're single and thinking of getting married, let this teaching inform your prayers for yourself and for others. But just take encouragement from Paul's exposition of the gospel in the context of marriage. Now, I'm aware there's potentially a lot of resistance to some of the teaching in this room. If we do a word association test, if I say kittens, what would you think? Something nice. Internet. If I say sunshine, if I say submission, what comes to mind? Is it something positive or something negative? Is it a hand grenade or is it a blessing? Now, I don't want to spend time uh, defending this in an apologetic way. Um, I want to start just by admitting that this is a controversial teaching in today's culture of anti-authority, pro-feminist, anti-paternal, anti-male culture. Um, And I'm going to assume that there are cultural problems that some of you have with this doctrine. And I want to address them not directly, but sideways on. Um, If you want to take them up directly, um, wait till David gets back. No, sorry. Uh, If you want to direct them directly, we'll speak to you afterwards. Okay. Um, I believe that we need to understand the nature of the gospel as Paul has uh, demonstrated in this letter before we can start to understand the nature of submission properly. And here's what I want to do in three parts tonight. Firstly, the gospel setting of these um, commands, submission and love. And then secondly, look at the submission. And thirdly, look at what I want to call sacrifice, which is the husband's duty. Okay, so um, setting, submission, and sacrifice, three big headings. So let's put the setting of this. In 
The, the, the teaching of submission for the wife and sacrifice for the husband doesn't just appear out of nowhere. I've not just come into here from, from nothing. If you've come in here and haven't heard the previous sermons, you, you have less of a chance of understanding what Paul is saying here than if you had an idea of what he's already said and the, the gospel. There's a chain of reasoning that leads to these commands. There are what I call links of grace-filled commands that give color and context to what he says about submission for the wife and sacrificial love for the husband. And in Ephesian letter, there are um, seven mentions, seven lifestyle verses through it, which in one translation use the term walk, walk in this way or walk in that way. In our translation, it's live, live a life or a lifestyle. So I want to look with you very quickly with me through these chains of reasoning, these lifestyle verses that lead to the command to submit to one another, to submit to your husband and to sacrifice for your wife. So turn back with me to Ephesians 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner... For the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul is starting the, what you call the application section of his letter in those verses. And it's a lifestyle he's urging, a gospel lifestyle. Uh, a, a life that's lived day by day, season by season. We're all called by the gospel to live a changed way of life. And submission and sacrifice begin with the good news of our calling. And it is part of living a life that is worthy of the calling we have been received. It's going to exemplify that worthiness of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. Paul's already told us in chapter 2, we've been called from under the wrath of God into fellowship with God. We've been called from disobedience to obedience in Christ. From the dominion of the evil one to freedom in Christ. From alienation and enmity with God and one another to peace and unity in Christ. We are called out of the orphanage and into adoption in Christ. Now, do you understand any of that? If you don't, I will not be able to explain adequately to you what submission and sacrifice means. Second lifestyle verse, in verse 17 of chapter 4. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So Paul is saying there are old ways of thinking that characterize life before the good news changes us. And that ways of thinking, these ways of thinking are about self, about me, about sex, about getting things, about strong desires that dominate, about pleasures that dominate everything, thought, emotion, action. And Paul says the futility of this philosophy is self-evident in the decadence of Ephesus and Rome that you could see around about. Submission and sacrifice only makes sense, not in that decadent lifestyle, but in a new thought system that the gospel generates, a gospel-shaped life. Third lifestyle verse in 
chapter 5, verse 1, just over the page, 1176. So let me sum up what it means in your walk to be like Christ. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Christian lifestyle, says Paul, is all about love. A radically new kind of love that has entered into thinking. It's not about sex, eros. It's not about friendship or business, filio. It is self-giving love. It is sacrificial love. It is agape or agape, depending where you put the emphasis. This love is defined by Christ. His love is a self-giving love. It is a whole sacrifice of self. And this is the lifestyle for all of the church under the word of the gospel. And it is tested and demonstrated particularly in Christian marriage. Christ's submissive sacrifice to the Father, his cry in Gethsemane, his self-giving love on the cross define both submission and sacrifice in the context of marriage. The fourth lifestyle verse, it's in verse 15 of chapter 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now wisdom is the visible outworking of a life lived to the praise of the glory of God's grace. Is your chief desire as a Christian husband or wife to glorify God in everything? If we are agreed on that, then we can start the discussion on what submission and sacrifice to the glory of God means. And the last lifestyle verse before we come to our passage, it's really the verses that lead in. It's all part, this is all part of a series of commands now that are all linked together. Chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to excess or debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this leads in with a series of following verbs that are all linked to that one, um, from uh, sub- submission and sacrifice um, to the glory of God as a Christian is an impossible lifestyle for the unconverted, okay? And without Holy Spirit power, it's absolutely impossible. So be filled with the Spirit and submit. Be filled with the Spirit and sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit loves and delights in the gospel beauties of Christian submission and sacrifice in Christian marriage. Right, that being said, let's look now more closely at our passage. Verses uh, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Notice that... um, This command to submit in a gospel manner flows out of worship in the first instance. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
That's just followed on from the worship verses. Sing and uh, speak and make music and give thanks and submit to one another. It's all one series of verbs after another, all linked to being filled with the Spirit. Worship. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you go go home, you, you hear people saying, oh, the worship was good tonight. When they mean the singing was good. Um, when the Holy Spirit sees gospel submission and sacrifice, you can hear him saying, the worship is good in that marriage. It's great worship there. Now, Paul describes the manner or the shape of submission. It's got a, it's got a shape. It's got a character. And so he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, what does as to the Lord mean? Well, I think there's two things involved in that. I think, first of all, there's trust involved in that. Um, how do we submit to the Lord? How does the church submit as to the Lord? We believe in him. We trust in him for our salvation. There is a trust, a putting of ourselves into a very vulnerable position into his love, into his care. And so there's something in submission as to the Lord that's about trust. I'm not going to define it any more than that because each one of you will work this one out yourselves in marriage in particular um, colors and sounds um, that, will, that will paint a picture of the gospel um, for, for God's glory that will... That will Invent a song that will praise him in your marriage, um, but trust will be there. How that expresses itself, may the Lord lead you into that. I think also there's a sense of obvious affection in that. Paul's just said, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as to the Lord. Now, not as to Christ. He's, now, I think, am I right? I have, a, I have a hint in there of the affection. Christ is the title, as it were. The Lord Jesus is the person. I mean, it's both. But I think if there's going to be a difference, there is a little difference, I think, there. It's about, so submission, um, as to the Lord, it's about trust and definitely about affection or love. It's not about actions primarily, although they're important. If you go back to the earlier lifestyle verse, what does submission look like one to the other? It's being completely humble and gentle. It's being patient. It is bearing with one another in love. It is making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So, As to the Lord is the manner or the shape of submission. But Paul also gives a reason for submitting. That word for. You need to recognize, he says, both the head and the body. You need to hear the gospel again. And you need to recognize the head and the body of the church. And you need to recognize that you are a demonstration of that. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Notice again how the gospel is integral in this teaching. 
He keeps coming back to doctrine and the doctrine about Christ and the church. Now, obviously, there is not a complete equivalence here between Christ and the church and husband and wife. Paul later on admits that. He says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So he he realizes he's moved away a little bit from, strictly speaking, husband and wife. And in here, no husband saves his wife. Only Christ saves husband and wife. But there's something about that loving action that you are to submit to, he's saying. If you understand the nature and reason for submission, you'll understand that when you realize that God has given the world marriage as a picture of the gospel, of the relationship between Christ, the head, and the church, his body. So what does head mean then? Christ the head, or husband the head? Many things, but I'm going to just concentrate on three key ideas that explain the meaning of head and what you are to submit to and how you are to submit. Perhaps the most important or um, major idea for head, head stands for life. We think head stands most of the time for thinking or not thinking, use your head. Um, The very first mention of head in the Bible tells us about life. The promise in Genesis was that the serpent's head would be crushed by the promised seed. That doesn't mean to say he'd, he'd no longer be able to think anymore. That means his life would be extinguished by the promised seed. In the Bible, dust is sprinkled on the head when death has come to signify the dust we are returning to and the mourning over the loss of life. Um, we have something like it in our culture. When you surrender, when you give up your life, you put your hands on your head. Um, so, life. The church receives its spiritual life from Christ the head. Um, we sometimes think more, that, don't you, that the life of the body comes from the heart, pumping the blood around. Um, Paul's day, they, they believed that the life of all the members, hands, feet, fingers, toes, everything else, came from the head as the source of life. Christ is the source of life for the church. Now, submit, um, for the husband is the head. In what sense is the husband the life bringer to the marriage? Well, insofar as he brings life to this covenant union, the wife will submit to him. Wives, he should be a source of life to you, making provision for your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, your physical needs, your relational needs. He is the source of life. He doesn't just go out and do his thing, come in at night, watch the telly, and forget that you have no friends, no spiritual um, depth, no intimacy, no emotional comfort. Um, The husband as head is to be a source of life for his wife, just as Christ is the source of life for his church. Here's a challenge. When the husband thinks that the budget should be blown because he wants to get a new dress or a meal out or diamonds, submit. He is trying to be life to you. Let him have the headache of balancing the books later. 
Maybe we're more used to the second aspect of headship. Head stands for leadership in the scripture. Where the head points and goes, the body naturally flows. If you look at athletes, if you, um, you see where, where their head is, will dictate where the body moves and what it's ready to do. You'll watch um, fighters and they look at the eyes, they look at the head. That, that can indicate whether it's attack or behind it. It's about leadership. And so there is a sense in which um, you submit to a leadership. Now, of course, this is not a dictatorship. You are both equal before God as children of God. And you will certainly discuss before God what you need to do in life in the big things. I quite like what one preacher said. He says, um, I don't stress about the decisions whether they should, what color of paint they should be, what do I know, um, or what furniture they should be, or how we should entertain, etc. Although entertainment, I want her to submit to that. I, I tend to leave, if I need to do a casting vote, he says, I leave that to the big decisions of life. Well, that's possibly, possibly the case. And that's where the rubber will hit the road when it comes to submission, wouldn't it? If you've got two heads and no body, you're not going to go anywhere. No legs, no hands, just two heads talking to each other. Christ has created marriage to be a head and a body. And sometimes the head needs to lead and the body needs to follow. But remember, it's the context of love and the context of him being life to you. He is leading you not into selfishness for himself, but into life for you both, for the union. And lastly, or thirdly, I should say, there are other ones as well, but thirdly, this is one that I really love and is appropriate for tonight as well. Head also stands as a source of blessing in the scripture. Uh, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Remember, unity and, and marriage, but okay, unity here. Brothers living together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down over the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So you have the picture in uh, the Old Testament of the anointed one, whose head is anointed with the oil of anointing, symbolizing the coming of the Holy Spirit, of authority and of blessing. And in this psalm, you have the picture of the high priest, Aaron, uh, and the blessing of anointing comes down upon his head like the Jew of Hermon, like a blessing for life evermore. Not just for him, not just because his hair product looks good and smells good, it's for the blessing of all the people over which he is priest. So on the head to the body. Um, And of course, this is a picture fulfilled in a true and greater Aaron. Jesus is our great high priest. He is the head of the church, his body. He is anointed in the Holy Spirit. And from the head flows to all the body, blessing and life and nourishment. It's an amazing picture. Are you a source of blessing to your wife. You're also a place under which she should be able to be feel protected. 
the head will take uh, the, yeah, the attack, as it were, before um, the body. Get in the way. You're, this is the way God ordained it. So, life, leadership, blessing, that's the context in which you're called, says Paul, to submit. There are three common characteristics for all kinds of submission, depending on, regardless of who, who it is, that I just want to end with here before I look at a couple of hard cases. The loyalty. Submission must involve loyalty. The body submits well by showing loyalty to the head. Does the church speak well of Jesus when they are in the company of others? You're out with your workmates who don't know, like, love Christ. In fact, despise the church. They're making jokes about the church. They're making jokes about Jesus. Are you quiet? Are you agreement by silence? Um, Are you laughing because you don't want to be different? Or are you loyal to the head? Wives, are you loyal to your husband when he's not there? Do you ever take your humorous criticism of your husband's weaknesses and failings? And let me tell you, there are many in this preacher... Um, do you ever take these, that criticism, humorous one, with others um, a wee bit too far, just a bit over the edge, stepping over loyalty into disloyalty? Submission involves loyalty on both, on both as well. Um, the body submits well by showing proper respect. Paul summarizes all his teaching about marriage in in verse 33 in one sense. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Men are created by God to enter into this world that he has made and make a difference. They are to go into the wild and chaotic places of creation and make gardens and places where Humanity can flourish. Now respect for that acknowledges this difficult calling upon the husband and seeks to build up the husband in this work. Without respect, there is no submission. Respect is a form of love. It is a kind, giving love that builds up. When you twist respect... It comes out in nagging and doesn't build up. So loyalty, respect, and unity. That's the big thing for Paul in this passage. Male, female, husband, wife, church, body, unity. Um, 21 to 21 to 33, it's all about oneness or unity. It's such an important teaching. He's given a big part of that earlier to the oneness between Christ the head and the church his body. And that oneness, that unity, is to be reflected in the unity and oneness between husband and wife. It's you and me, dear, back to back against the world. Let no one come between us. And we'll take on all comers if they try or if they dare. There's always a question about hard cases. What about submission in this instance? 
when he's not a lover but a boor. Remember, Paul says, submission is as to the Lord. It is out of reverence or fear of Christ that you are to submit to one another. So Paul is saying no wife should ever be called to submit to do what the Lord forbids or not do what the Lord commands. If it ever comes, you are to say with respect, the Lord is master in this regard of the wife. The Lord never commands submission to sin against Christ or disobedience of Christ. Where there are clear commands in Scripture, no husband can, in the name of the Lord, demand submission by breaking these commands in any way. It is an abuse and must be resisted by the one who loves Jesus and is submitted to him first. But some obvious things are easier to see, but then sometimes there are not so clear-cut issues about submission. Maybe there is not a direct biblical command, and maybe commands are being abused and twisted. How do you, do, how do you deal wisely with that, and how do you judge wisely? Well, here's my advice on that. Remember, you are commanded in the gospel to submit to the head and not to the heel. If your husband is treating you like dirt under your feet, he may not, well, he is breaking a command. He may not be asking you to break a command or go against Christ, but he's not being your head. You need to get help rather than submit to that kind of abuse. Um, if he's treating you with any other part of his body under his thumb or uh, around his arm of violence or um, ignoring you rather than being a head to you which is life and leadership and blessing then you need to get advice and help from the church about how you can subversively submit and love an abuser and in many cases I would advise you to get out but we can talk about difficult cases later. Here's the great contrast that Paul is giving to these Ephesians. Artemis the goddess came down from heaven and dominated society. Christ's bride, the church, submits and is exalted by God into the heavenlies where Christ is seated. Well, if that was difficult... Are you ready now, men? What does gospel-shaped sacrifice look like? Verses 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It's all love you're commanded to do as a husband. I've called it sacrifice because I like alliteration, but sacrifice is at the heart of this kind of love. It's a self-giving, sacrificial love. It is me on the cross for the sake of my wife. 
As I said, Paul sums up in his application is about respect, submission, in verse, uh, at the, the last verse, and husbands, you must love your wives as you love yourself. So love and gave himself. Love is self-giving. It is the giving of yourself. Your innermost being is given. So you've got to learn to give your secrets, your shames and your pride and the, the good and the bad. You have to learn to give yourself in all that vulnerability to your wife. It is not a matter of giving you things without giving you self. And it's the whole of self that Jesus gave for his church. It's the whole of self that husbands give in love to their wives. It is a love that is self-giving. That means it is self-denying. Christ doesn't say, goodbye dear, I need a new set of golf clubs while I'll leave you lonely at home. Oh, never mind, dear. There's a latest game. Come on the computer. I'm not going to speak to you tonight. I just want to relax because I'm so tired and I need to be good to myself tonight. So I'm sure you'll understand. I want to watch the latest blockbuster series on Netflix. I know you don't like that, but, well, I need it. That's self. It's a denial of self. Husbands, you need to get your needs and your demands met by Jesus so that you can put her needs before your own. Now, this is an explosive truth in Ephesus, an absolutely hand grenade of change of thinking. Women had no status. Even in a city dominated by the female deity, women had no status in Paul's day. In, it was slightly better in Judaism, but there was a prayer that rabbis would pray, I thank you that I am not a woman or a Gentile. And, um, and that would be a prayer that we pray almost every day because that was a substandard species Paul blew that out with the gospel. Women um, in their day had no rights. In Greek society, even worse, were expected to cook, work, rear the children while the husband had his real life elsewhere. Self-giving. Put the church first, as Jesus did. It too falls out of worship as well, of course. Remember, you're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of your spirit-filled union with Christ who meets your deepest needs. You are able to give in that strength, weakness as well, to meet her needs because he's meeting yours. You're not going with a spirit of demandingness and you must satisfy me, and then um, I'll satisfy you. You're going with the spirit of grace, like Christ came. The church was filthy, dead, disfigured, ugly, doomed to wrath. And Christ loved the church. And as he says... He gave himself to present her to himself as a radiant church. So, how are we to love our wives as husbands? 
Well, the manner and shape um, comes with these as sayings, two of them, as Christ loved the church and as you love your own bodies. As Christ loved the church. Well, look at this uh, progress in verses 26 and following. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, first of all. So the church needs to be sanctified or made like God. And there's a process involved in that. There was a cleansing of the church by the washing with water, a clear reference to baptism, through the word, a clear reference to the word that always accompanies the the sacrament, just as the word will accompany the Lord's Supper tonight. So the word that accompanies baptism is really important. So that's that's the process of Christ's love. And it's a process from grubbiness to glory, to make her holy and to cleanse her. So what's he wanting to do? It's not just, I'll rescue you. What does he say? To present her to himself as a radiant church. Present her. And that's the, it literally means to have her not in front like a display, but beside as a bride. Not below the head as someone slightly lesser, but beside the head. I'm changing the picture because it's not head and body now, it's bride and bridegroom. It's beside the bridegroom that the church stands. That is an amazing grace and mercy that's given to the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is a pursuit of his church that will not end until she's presented in glory, radiant, shining church. Some husbands give up the pursuit after the first couple of years of marriage. You know, some people are very goal-orientated. So the goal is to capture the light of your life or the love of your heart. You've captured, the next goal is to get through the celebration and the marriage. And then you've done that. So what's the next goal? Well, we're together now. I can just ignore her and go on with the next goal. No, (laughs) Jesus didn't say, I've died for the church. I'll let her get on and leave her. And somehow or other, um, I'll get on with other business. He's pursuing the church until he presents the church radiant, without stain, without wrinkle, without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Till he finishes the job. Love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Think of what he has given for his bride. He gave all his wealth for his bride. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he were rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. He emptied his purse, his bank account, his glory for his bride. Have you got a secret bank account? So you can spend it on secret wee projects? Do you have a wee stash somewhere that, that uh, she knows nothing about? Christ 
impoverished himself when he gave himself for his bride. Christ gave his lifeblood for his bride. We'll be thinking just in a moment or two about the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ, now there's a song we have sung here, which I hope we never have to sing again. There's a song which says, you know, just one little drop will cleanse me. That's very pagan and very almost Roman Catholic. Um, What we have here is the pouring out signifies all his blood poured out. It didn't take just a little drop to forgive your sins and cleanse you and hide God's face and anger from you so his love can shine upon you. It took his whole life poured out for each one of you. All of his blood had to be shed and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Are you holding back, says Paul? Are you like Christ and the church's bride? Are you saying, well, I need a little bit for myself? I need a little time for myself. I need a little bit, just me time. And so, and sometimes you do actually, you do need, to, you do need a little bit of that time. But it's, but it's that spirit of saying, oh, I do need this, I really need this, oh, I can't possibly give that up. That's not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's loving yourself selfishly. Christ emptied himself for his bride. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me give up all my ambitions if they come between caring for my wife. Paul goes to an interesting verse that's quoted by our Lord and comes from Genesis. He says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. What a profound mystery he's saying. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. How did Christ love the church? Is it a a picture of leaving his father here? I I, I don't know. Obviously that's maybe speculative. It's It's not I can't say for definite but can you see something of that? The the moving from the infinite fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, to the infinite pain of feeling abandoned on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? For the sake of a grubby and dirty and unholy and unworthy bride. As Christ loved the church, my goodness, are you husbands, are you feeling Encouraged? (laughs) Husbands, he says, you must love your wife as your own body. You know, if you love your wife, you're loving yourself. He's saying you're one body now. You're one flesh. You're one, well, two persons, one flesh, he's saying. So, um, 
Take the analogy only just as far as Paul takes it. What do you do for yourself? Well, you feed your body, he says. So are you feeding your wife? Spiritually, Christ feeds his church, doesn't he? Not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Christ feeds us spiritually and builds us up. Husbands, that's a big thing. Christ feeds us and nourishes us emotionally, um, strengthens our hearts to will and to love what is good and right and proper and true. We are to feed as Christ feeds the church, but also as you feed your own body. You look after your emotional life. You look after your physical life. Um, you you're not up well I know one person doesn't like smelly stuff but some of you do do like using man products you know you look after the body don't you 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 make sure you at least you don't smell too badly or look too badly or or uh, wear too bad clothes for the you know for for public reason so you can care not just for your body care for your wife as much as you care for yourself physically care for her as you would care relationally as well um, this word feed can also have the connotation of just bringing up or educating or helping wherever there's a need. And that's what Jesus does to the church. He, he brings up the church from, as I said, from, well, where she was, full of wrinkles and stains and uh, blemishes to glory without wrinkle, stain or blemish. If you've got that kind of pursuing love. Paul says you care for your own body, don't you? You cherish is the other way of translating that. You care, you treat your body as something dear. Most people do. So you'll give it food when it needs and rest when it needs. And um, in this whole thing, there's a, the, this verb, there's an idea of warmth and protection. Um, you know, rest, um, work. As you care for yourself, care for your wife. Well, there's Paul. So I was thinking as I was preparing this that I don't know how many marks out of ten you would give me for the theory. But God knows how often I think I've failed the practical. Lord, give me another chance both to do and to encourage other men to do, to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to really care for myself by caring for my wife. That's what he's saying. To show forth the gospel in the life of a couple for his glory and for our joy. Okay, here's the challenge. The last little bit of application is entitled Deformed or Reformed Marriage. You're out walking in the dark and dusk and something comes towards you and it's what you've feared as a Highlander for many, many years. It's a headless body. There's the body, but no head. What kind of marriage is that? I don't need the head. You know how long a body lasts without the head? 
not very, lo- not very uh, long at all, how beautiful a body is without a head. What about a heedless body? Have you ever had one of those dolls? I mean, okay, I didn't have dolls, I had action men, but you know, I've played with some of the girls' do- dolls. I've turned the head round back to front, so the head's going that way and the body's going that way. Some marriages are deformed like that. Okay, they're together, but they're heedless, one of the other. What about this big floating head? So full of himself. All he ever needs. That's just as scary as a body without a head. This big thing. Or what about these two heads arguing with one another on the road? It's your turn to go. No, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. I'm not going to go. You're going to go. Two heads, no body. Where do you get to in life when that's like? Or what about a body in proportion to the head running with joy through green fields, over dikes, into adventure, into new places, sailing across seas, getting to the destination for their joy and glory. What kind of body and head are you praying for? For yourself and for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's all about Jesus. We know that. And thankfully, because of that, we know we can come to you for forgiveness from this moment forward for repentance, for a turning to Christ to be the wives and husbands that you've called us to be. And I pray that as you are calling young men and young women to think about their calling and to find one another, that you'll prepare their hearts and minds to live for your glory and not for themselves and find in that a wonderful joy and a wonderful witness to Jesus, who loves his bride so much. In his name. Amen. Right, I'm looking for the order of service. Here we are. Thank you. Okay, as we come to communion, we're going to uh, stand together and sing.